Welcome in to the BearCast on Sikkim365.com. I'm your host, Grayson Grunhafer. I'm riding solo this week. Of course, the guys are in Vegas covering the Super Bowl, uh, but I felt like we need to get a BearCast in this week, especially because National Signing Day coming up, uh, basketball playing a lot better, really good week um, for both teams, especially the men's team, of course. And uh, so a lot to talk about kind of as we move forward into uh, this month of February. Basketball, of course, things are heating up in Big 12 play and, of course, postseason play. Um, And then for the football team, you know, you're finishing off signing day this week, the second one, and then you're uh, into spring football. So a lot coming up. Spring ball starts at the end of March. um, And then, of course, the spring game is April 20th. So a lot to talk about this week. We're going to, of course, start uh, with National Signing Day. Uh, Obviously, this has been a really hectic week, honestly, a little over a week. Um, But, of course, this weekend, really good visitor list had – you know, a lot of prospects on campus on Friday from the 2025 and 2026 classes, heavily focused on uh, DeSoto. Quite a few guys from DeSoto and really just the DFW area in general, as Keenan Hall's impact continues to be felt uh, on the recruiting trail. So that was really, really nice to see um, a, a really good start, I would say, for this 2025 class, of course, you know, landing Demetrius Brisbane. But of course, there's all kinds of other uh, good positive notes that are that have been coming out, whether it's from Junior Day or from this past weekend of just really high-profile guys visiting Baylor, guys that weren't really visiting or weren't really interested in Baylor uh, before Keenan Hall's arrival, before Jake Spavital uh, arrived as well, bringing in this new offense, which I've heard really good things about from recruits as well. Is there, you know, intrigued you know, by this new spread offense and intrigued by what Baylor has to offer uh, for offensive playmakers? You know, the other part is NIL uh, that I believe it speaks to. And I'm going to get into that as well as we talk about a signing day that's coming up tomorrow. But in general, it's very clear the impact that NIL has had now at Baylor, uh, this shift in focus uh, by the staff and and the shift in how they're operating uh, with NIL has been uh, really big. And it's been clearly a focal point and something that I think is really uh, speaking well to recruits. And that's kind of where things are at uh, in the 2025 class. Lots of momentum there. They're looking to carry that into February and of course, March. Um, Now let's talk about signing day. So Baylor, of course, uh, in December, uh, they signed a a good bunch of guys. I mean, everyone except for Alex Foster signed uh, who were committed in the class. You had Nate Bennett, Brock Jackson, Jaden Porter, Colton Siraki, Tristan Santoro, Tonga Lolo Hilea, uh, Keaton Thomas, Kylan Reed, and Chris Wokema all early enroll uh, in January. And then the three guys who signed but did not early enroll were Joseph Dodds, Mason Dossett, and Kyler Beatty. So put that all together, really nice signing class. I think there's been uh, obviously a lot of talks about how good the class is. And I think when you look at kind of the mid-level, kind of where they're at right in the middle of the class and, and the meat of the class, you feel good about it. I think the area where it could be better is the the high end, the upside part. And obviously Alex Foster signing would play a big role in that. And then of course, if they're able to pull off um, a big addition in the 2024 class, that would be key as well. We're going to talk about the guys who are uh, looking at Baylor, at least at this point, we'll, we'll dive into that here in a second, but let's start with Alex Foster, uh, the six foot five, 275 pound prospect. He's been committed since July 4th. Uh, he's been all about Baylor. For the most part, except for that one part where Texas offered him 
in October and, you know, talked with him a little bit, you know, tried to get him on multiple visits. He did not take those visits um, until finally on December 15th, he decided to take an official visit to Texas. Um, lots of speculation, I would say, after he took that visit. A, a ton of writers uh, put crystal balls in. A, a ton of guys, you know, felt like the momentum was trending in Texas's favor. Um you know, from people who cover Baylor, from people who cover Texas, from even a Mississippi State guy um, who's just in his area, everyone was overwhelmingly thinking he was going to Texas. And simply put, that did not happen. And, you know, you can speak to it for a variety of reasons, whether uh, Bo Davis leaving, you know, you can talk about that. But Alex Foster already knew that he was going to leave, which also I think kind of led to them not being a legit contender for his flip at least you know at that time and um that's just kind of where he's been you know with, with this process and regardless of the relationship he had with Bo Davis that relationship never quite met what he had at Baylor uh so yeah I, I think that again you know he chose Baylor over Arkansas Georgia Tech Kentucky Louisville Mississippi State initially got the Texas offer got the Michigan State offer in January and I still expect him to sign with Baylor tomorrow that's where I'm at with him. Now, he's he's a big-time prospect. He's a guy who I expect to come in. Um, I think he'll be in the three deep uh, this year, meaning I think he'll play this year. I really do. I, I don't expect him to redshirt. I think he's going to quickly pass up you know, quite a few guys that are on the current roster and, and find his spot. Find Pick and choose those spots when you're able to play him, but I, I think he works his way on the field. And if he doesn't, then that means really good things in my eyes for the guys who are in the class just above him in 2023, as well as just development from guys on the roster, whether it's a Trevin Maia or a, a Devontae Tizino, a Jackie Marshall coming back healthy. You know, if those things happen, then maybe it, it keeps him off the field. Uh, but in general, I think his talent is going to overwhelm, um, just overwhelm the staff. I, I think they're going to be really excited to get him on the field um, sooner rather than later. And that doesn't mean I think he's going to start right away, but I do think he'll play a role on this team during the 2024 season. Uh, of course, won the state championship this year, had 68 tackles, 20 for loss and 11 sacks. And of course he saw his rankings boost uh, up to a uh, 94 overall number 152 prospect in the nation, number one prospect in Mississippi, according to on three. So huge rankings boost there. Really good prospect, one that Baylor has absolutely made a priority. And what I would say on this is, if signing day rolls around tomorrow and the only news is Alex Foster signed with Baylor, it's a successful signing. Does that mean they knocked it out of the park? Does that mean they did, you know, went above and beyond? No, but what it does mean is it's very successful. You did exactly what you expected to do going into signing day. And you feel good about your recruiting class to mix in with the transfer prospects you brought in. So that's where things are at with Alex Foster. Again, I'm expecting him to sign with the Bears. His ceremony should be at, I believe, 11.30 a.m. Uh, tomorrow. So keep an eye out on that uh, for news there. Uh, next up, let's move over to Josh Lair, uh, the Fort Ben Marshall safety, high three-star, low four-star type prospect, um, a guy who was committed to Washington since the end of September. Uh, he chose the Huskies over Baylor in Texas, um, but he was recently let out of his letter of intent on January 19th. The reason for that was Kalen DeBoer, the head coach at Washington, took the, took the head coaching job at Alabama, took some staff with him, 
either way, it doesn't really matter when that happens. Guys are allowed to reevaluate their situation for obvious reasons. Lair took advantage of that, decided to get out of his letter of intent and open up his recruitment again. Once he did that, there were a lot of schools that kind of had interest in him uh, to varying levels. Uh, I'm not going to sit here and say every single school uh, offered him again or every single school that initially offered had room for him, but a lot of schools definitely reached out uh, to see what the interest level is. And, and some of those, whether it's you know LSU, Texas, Texas A&M, there were conversations along with Baylor, of course. Um, but on the Baylor side of things, the, the reason you felt good when he was let out of his letter of intent was just because of the relationships. Uh, he took an official visit to Baylor. His strong relationship with Matthew Pallage really kept Baylor in it for a long time. Um, and for them to honestly make a top three list for him and be one of his final options, despite the fact that they start off the season bad and you could kind of see the writing on the wall for them to have a tough year, speaks volumes about kind of what he thought about this Baylor program. For that reason, you know, Baylor comes back. They start talking, having those conversations again. Matthew Pallage, Dave Randa visited him at his high school, had a lot of conversations there. And, you know, from that point, you know, they became a true contender in his recruitment. You could potentially say the leader in his recruitment as well. Uh, but he scheduled a visit. He was on campus Friday and Saturday in Waco. Um, everything that I've heard, is that he had a great time. You know, they continued to build on those relationships that he had initially um, and that he got a really good feel, you know, for the program again. And, and I think all of that is kind of a, a reason why you would think there's momentum there for him to potentially be a Baylor Bear. And th this is one that, you know, as we move towards tomorrow, as we move towards, you know, the end of this week, you know, the beginning of this week and into signing day, uh, he is one that I, I do feel like Baylor has a good chance of landing. And I think Baylor's in a good spot to land his signature. And if you're able to do that, um, you're landing one heck of a prospect. And let's talk about why. So I think if you go look at, you know, Dave Randa's track record and really the staff in general, uh, this would be the best safety prospect Dave Randa has ever landed uh, during his time at Baylor. Obviously not talking about LSU or, you know, past stops, but at Baylor, Josh Lair is the best high school prospect that he would have landed if they're able to, to get the job done. Um, outside of that, you know, you kind of look at the, the other traits that he has, the physicality, the size, the explosiveness, the quick twitch, the raw upside, you know, ability to force turnovers. All of these things make him a perfect fit for the star position in my eyes. I think he could also play boundary. Um, but in general, he just plays with this just intense ferocity. You turn on his tape, he's just, you know, hitting people as hard as he can attacking the football, again, forcing those turnovers, all things that you really need for that star position. I kind of like Petrie, but he's a little bit bigger than Petrie. At least I think he will be uh, shortly. So again, very good prospect when it comes to those things. Then you look over at his offer list, which, you know, we can debate, you know, when those offers were and, and things like that. That's fine. But the offer means that these teams, these schools saw his ability, saw his talent. And it does matter at times. I'm not saying that the offer list always matters, but it definitely matters in my eyes when you talk about an offer list that includes LSU, Texas, Auburn, Florida, Miami, Michigan, Oklahoma, Nebraska, Ole Miss, Oregon, TCU, Texas A&M, Tennessee, and Utah. Elite, guys. Elite offer list. Something that Baylor hasn't had a ton of guys that come in with elite offer lists. And honestly, an offer list like this, 
does not come about very often. And so for them to really be in this conversation among those schools and to win a battle, even if it is a you know re-recruitment, is still a massive deal and speaks volumes about where this program is at. I mean, that's kind of my third reason. It, it shows off, you know, kind of what the staff has done all offseason and, and what they've shown us examples of, right? When you looked at the transfer portal, the kind of quality they were getting there, you know, how they were recruiting in the 2025 class. And then now if you're able to pull this off and land Josh Lair. It speaks to a shift in recruiting philosophy and a shift in NIL. And those two things allow you to get in the door with high-end prospects and potentially land high-end prospects that you weren't able to land in the past. And so you put all that together, and that's why we're sitting here talking about Josh Lair and the guy that I'm going to talk about next. It's because of these changes that the staff has made. And it's been a really key um, a key thing all offseason that I think we've talked about but seeing more and more examples and data points of it is huge. And I think that everyone should pay close attention to that. Uh, absolutely should. So again, Josh Lair, I think he could announce a decision maybe today, tomorrow. Um, of course, he's going to probably make his decision tomorrow on where he's going to sign. Uh, could make it sooner, but we'll see on that. Either way, I do think Baylor is in a good spot uh, to land him, which again, that takes this from, you know, it was a good signing day, exactly what you needed uh, if you get Alex Foster's signature to an absolute home run if you're able to land Josh Lair. Absolute home run. Add another high-end prospect to this class and you start looking at this class very differently, or at least you should. And I know some people will say, oh, but they're still ranked here. Or they're still ranked here. That's fine. But I think you've solved kind of the question marks in my eyes, because in my eyes now you got, you know, five guys that I think are pretty high-end prospects, that high three-star, low four-star types, uh, maybe even six. And then below that, you got some projects. You got some guys that you just really like their fit with the program. You got some guys who um, provide size, you know, provide elite high school production, uh, provide upside. You, just a lot of different you know, variables and risks associated, but good risks and good opportunities to take shots on guys. But you also have the safety with this high ceiling ability in the class. So Again, landing Josh Lair would make this an absolute home run for the 2024 class. Now, could things get even bigger? And that's where we're going to talk about Fort Bend, Ridgepoint, wide receiver Ashton, Bethel, Roman, um, elite four-star, special, special prospect. Um, the kind of prospect that if you're able to land him, he immediately becomes the best prospect in Baylor's 2024 class. Um, and one of the best wide receiver prospects Baylor has landed potentially ever. Yes, yes, I did say that. I know they've landed some really, really good prospects in the past at the wide receiver position. Uh, Bethel Roman is the kind of prospect that does stack up with those guys. Uh, again, not saying he'd be the best, but he would definitely be up there. And I, I think, you know, his offer list points to that, his production points to that, and potentially how he would fit at Baylor, I think also points to that, especially with the new offense coming in. Um, so kind of how things unfolded here, uh, he was released uh, from his letter of intent with Arkansas um, a few days ago, very recent, it hasn't even been a week yet. And the reason for that was Arkansas made staff changes, specifically Sam Pittman made staff changes uh, following his signing day. Um, obviously, that that's pretty pretty shady and is going to rub some people the wrong way. It did that with Ashton Bethel Roman. It gave him an opportunity to potentially explore other options. 
and that's what he decided to do. He was granted a release from his letter of intent with Arkansas and reopened his recruitment. Following him reopening his recruitment, he decided to take a visit to Baylor. This occurred Saturday night. Uh, he went to the uh, Baylor versus Iowa State basketball game with his dad and Dave Aranda, um, you know, and then spent some time in Waco on Sunday before he actually headed to College Station for his final visit. Um, and he is deciding on Wednesday. I believe it's Wednesday afternoon is when he's going to make his decision. But either way, took that visit to Baylor. Um, a little bit of backstory here, just because I have been covering his recruitment for a while. Baylor offered him a long time ago, but uh, and he had visited Baylor quite a few times. But really, the interests had not been there for seven months. Um, just, you know, as far as he liked the staff, liked Baylor, but it wasn't realistic that he was ever going to end up in Waco. Uh, he even took a visit during the season with his teammate, Mason Doffett, uh, who's a Baylor signee, of course. Um, but everything that he told me, everything I heard was just that visit was just because he's friends with Mason, just came to, to hang out. But he was not it, it wasn't anything about him potentially having interest in Baylor, which is you know really interesting that it was so uh, upfront like that. But it is what it was. So when he did get out of his letter of intent from Arkansas, I didn't necessarily think that Baylor was going to be a major player in this just because the relationship hadn't been there for seven months, you know, as far as them being a realistic contender in this. But again, the changes Baylor has made, the NIL, another data point that shows us that Baylor's changes they've made this offseason have at least allowed them to get in the door with high-level prospects. And that's exactly what Ashton Bethel Roman is, a very high-level prospect. So they get him on campus. Visit goes really well. I think Baylor put themselves in a position where, you know, they're one of his, you know, top three, uh, top four type options, something along those lines. Um, everything I've heard is that it's kind of Texas A&M, Ole Miss. I've heard a little bit of Missouri. And then, of course, Baylor. Uh, but I think initially when he was granted his release from Arkansas, A&M was the immediate favorite in his recruitment. I still think that that is ultimately where he's going to sign uh, at the moment. That's kind of where I'm at. That doesn't mean that Baylor didn't provide a, a really good push. And that doesn't mean that Baylor didn't uh, do everything they could to try to land him. I just think it was a, a major uphill battle to climb, uh, especially because AM was a player in his recruitment the first time around. You know, when he did decide to go with Arkansas, AM was in it for him. And AM continued to be in it for him, you know, during that time period where Baylor wasn't. And I think that that kind of ground that they had, you know, established that kind of just relationship is pretty difficult to overcome this late in the process when you really only have, you know, a day uh, to try to show what you're all about and to try to show once again, kind of why, you know, a prospect would love Baylor. It just, I think it was too, too quickly. It's kind of where I'm at. And that's a lot to overcome. Now on the flip side, Baylor's changed a lot of things. And I think for that reason, it made it in intriguing for Ashton Bethel Roman to at least take that visit to see what Baylor had to offer and to seriously consider Baylor uh, at this time. I do think Baylor is probably right in his top three um, along with A&M and Ole Miss. And, you know, it wouldn't shock me if he chose Baylor, but I do think at this time, A&M is probably the direction uh, he will go. Now, what kind of prospect are we talking about here? Well, he's posted over 1800 yards and 18 touchdowns on just 88 receptions the past two years. Uh, 247 as him as a top 135 prospect in the entire nation. And once again, if he were to sign with Baylor, he would immediately be my top overall prospect in the class. 
and pretty much everyone nationally would have him rate as the top prospect in Baylor's 2024 class as well. So if they land Alex Foster, successful signing day. If they land Josh Lair, along with Alex Foster, it's a home run. If they find a way to land Ashton Bethel-Roman, Josh Lair, and Alex Foster's signature tomorrow, it is absolutely a grand slam of a national signing day. It would be pretty unprecedented after the season that Baylor just had if they were able to finish that way, and it would create just some crazy momentum, crazy, crazy momentum going in uh, to the spring here. Again, I think two out of three is my expectation at the moment, but I will say getting a guy on campus and showing them how interested you are, that's a big deal. And you never know what could happen um, tomorrow when he does eventually decide to sign. Um, so, okay, that's it for the recruiting side of things. Um, that's kind of the signing day preview that I had planned. Um, but yeah, a lot, a lot of news and a lot more exciting than we initially expected uh, just a month ago. You know, the Josh Lair news, the National Bethel Roman news, obviously added intrigue to this one. All we really thought we were going to hear was whether Alex Foster was going to sign or not. Okay, so let's move over to the basketball side of things. Uh, a little bit to talk about here. Uh, obviously, a really good week for Baylor. And it was interesting. So a few weeks, I think it was a couple weeks ago, I was talking with Craig on the Bearcast. And I told him how, you know, going into this stretch, it was TCU, UCF, Iowa State, and Texas Tech. I really felt like if Baylor found a way to go uh, three and one during that stretch, that they would find themselves at the top of the Big 12 standings uh, at six and three. That was just my expectation on kind of how I felt like the, the rest of the conference was playing, what I felt like they needed to do to, to achieve that. And guys, here we are. Here we are. If Baylor wins tonight, then Baylor will be six and three and will have a share of the Big 12, I guess, the lead in the big 12 uh, at six and three uh, Houston currently sitting there at six and three, they're 19 and three overall. Uh, they've been kind of the best team in the league for a while. And obviously, um, oh, well, I guess one thing to mention here, Houston will likely be seven and three because they get to play Oklahoma state tonight. So Baylor won't be at the top of the standings. They'd be half a game back, but still I did feel like six and three would give you a very nice chance to be at the top of the standings. And that would be getting it done in my eyes over that four game stretch. And so, so far, so far, I feel like they have gotten the job done if they win this game against Texas Tech, which is going to be no easy feat. Don't get me wrong. Texas Tech is solid. Uh, they're a good program. They're playing really well. I personally think they're playing. They've played a little bit above themselves. I think the schedule is laid out pretty nicely for them. Uh, my eyes, they are a top, I guess I'd probably say top. 35-ish team, maybe top 30. Maybe you could convince me of that, but in general, I think probably top 35, top 40. They're a good team. They're a solid team. I don't think they're a great team. And so for that reason, Baylor, in my eyes, has to get the job done uh, in this one. They got the job done against UCF. Uh, a very impressive win going on the road there. UCF is, they're not a tournament team yet, but they are playing pretty well. And they've played up to their competition, especially at home. You know, they've played really well at home. They just beat uh, Oklahoma at home. They have a win over Kansas at home. I mean, they're a good team. They're tough to beat uh, when they're playing in Orlando. And Baylor found a way to get the job done. And they, and really it was impressive because they overwhelmed, you know, UCF overwhelmed them a little bit uh, for stretches just with their shooting early in that game. They're playing out of their mind shooting the basketball. But Baylor just kept churning out points, kept churning out good possessions, 
and found ways to take care of the basketball and ultimately won that game by eight points. Then they turned right around, had to play Iowa State uh, on Saturday. An Iowa State team that is really good. And if you look at the metrics, you know, a lot of people feel like Iowa State's a pretty good basketball team as well. Um, and I mean, Ken Palm has them at 13. They're 16 and five. They're the number five ranked defense in the entire country. That's a good basketball team uh, that Baylor played. And for the most part, if you're watching that game, Baylor was the better team for, I mean, pretty much the entire chunk of that game outside of that huge run that they allowed to Iowa State. We're not going to get into the, the, you know, the referees yet. I know I got a question about it in the mailbag, but uh, it was really bad. It was pretty overwhelming. Scott Drew got ejected for the first time in his career. Um, just in general, kind of this, this massive run where you felt like, wow, is this going to kind of be the, not the end of Baylor's season, but definitely a point where you're just like, oh no, you know, everything could come unraveled now if you lose a game like this, where you were clearly the better team for the entire game. And then you just, just completely lost it uh, for this stretch. But Credit to John Jacobs, credit to the players. Just they competed and they never gave up. And because they didn't give up, they found a way to win that basketball game. And I also like how Baylor won that game, right? We've seen in the past these close games, Baylor's not able to go out there and just take the game, right? Take the game over, just win it, go out and win it. And in this Iowa State game, you know, Jade Nunn goes to the free throw line, misses two free throws. Iowa State comes right down and scores and you go, oh, no. They did again, and I know we can speak to other possessions, but just this specific one told me a lot about this team and their mentality because he misses those two free throws. Iowa State comes down, makes a, a basket at the rim, uh, I believe on Jaden Nunn. Jaden Nunn gets the ball, rushes down the court, dribbles in, takes the contact at the rim, and finishes for an and one. Yes, he missed the free throw. Yes, time should have come off the clock for Iowa State. I don't know how it didn't. And also, yes, Iowa State got the ball in and they banked in a three, but it was clearly after the buzzer. Either way, Baylor went out and they won that game. Jaden Nunn showed that he wasn't afraid of the moment. He attacked the rim. He finished through contact and Baylor got the job done. Ultimately, a really nice performance for the Bears, a really big win against a good team in Iowa State. So now they're going to have to come out and show that killer instinct again against Texas Tech. Um, this week, as far as Texas Tech goes, I mentioned kind of my thoughts on them. Currently, Ken Palm has them at 32nd, 16-5 and five on the year. Uh, they have the 13th-ranked offense. Um, so they're going to score some points, but 86th-ranked defense. I think that's where this becomes kind of a perfect matchup for Baylor. This is a game where Baylor, I, I think, should score 80 points uh, or at least high 70s. Uh, and if they're able to do that, I think they win this game uh, probably by, you know, eight eight to 10 points. I think they're going to find a way to win this game. It would be nice to see them kind of put it all together uh, because they got a really tough one uh, on Saturday against Kansas. And that game's coming up uh, in Allen Fieldhouse, Kansas right now, uh, Ken Palm ranked 15th uh, offensively, 24th defensively, 19th, but they've been a little rocky. And we saw that again, they lost to Kansas state on the road, which I do want to mention because a lot of fans were telling me, it was the end of the world when Baylor lost to Kansas State. It proves that Baylor's not a good basketball team. Uh, well, Kansas just lost on the road to Kansas State as well. Uh, and Kansas has been talked about over the last week as being, you know, the the team just outside Purdue and UConn, who's that third best team in the country. Um, so I found that to be rather interesting as well. Uh, Kansas is a Keeley Teal right now. Their bench is just not playing well. And 
you know, if their bench isn't playing well, makes it really tough to sub guys in and out, whereas Baylor's one of the deeper teams uh, in the country. Uh, somewhat. You know, the, the quality can be a little suspect at times, but in general, when, you, when you're bringing a guy like Langston Love off your bench, um, regardless of who else you're bringing off the bench, Langston Love is a complete difference maker for that second unit. And he's the guy in my eyes to watch for that Kansas game. Um, I think that's good. He's going to be really important in that one. As far as the Texas tech game goes, I think that's kind of that Ray J Dennis game in my eyes. And, you know, Ray J played well against Iowa state, but I think he's going to play really well against Texas tech. Um, and hopefully Jacoby Walter gets things going against tech as well. He needs to be playing a little bit better. I need to get a little more confidence. Um, but I'm excited that this is going to be a fun week, uh, taking on tech rivalry matchup at home, a great opportunity to show, you know, you went out against Iowa state. We're upset about the calls, upset about how that game ended. Felt like you were about to put together a really complete performance. You were kind of unable to due to refs, due to Scott Drew getting injected. Now you refocus and come out pretty angry against Texas tech. I could see that happening as well. As far as the Kansas game goes, Kansas coming off of a loss at Allen Fieldhouse is not usually a recipe for success. Uh, if I were a betting man uh, for Baylor this week, which I'm not, uh, I think Baylor wins this Tech game pretty easily and then falls to Kansas in a game that is a little closer than expected. I, I think a lot of people are going to go into that game thinking Kansas is going to win, kind of like they did against Houston, blow out Baylor completely. Uh, I think Baylor sticks in that game, but I don't think they come out with a win. I think it's a little too much to ask with Kansas coming off of a loss this week, but in general, Baylor comes out and they're six and four after this week. I think you got to be feeling really good about where Baylor is at uh, heading into the next stretch. And speaking of the next stretch, you know, everyone was really worried about the next, the, the stretch coming up and there are reasons for concern, but after the Kansas game, you still get to play Oklahoma. You get West Virginia, who is fine. You know, they're just okay. And I know you're playing them on the road, which is tough. But that's very much a winnable game. I mean, West Virginia is 8-14, and 14, even though they do have three uh, Big 12 wins. Uh, Oklahoma's reeling right now. And then you got to go to BYU. You get Houston at home. So it is a tough stretch, but I think it looks more manageable uh, than maybe it did when people were thinking Oklahoma was a really good team this year. I think Oklahoma's solid, but I think that's a game that Baylor should be able to win at home. And I think they should also be able to beat West Virginia on the road. So that's just a little bit of looking ahead there uh, for what Baylor has coming up. As far as the women's side of things, um, you know, Baylor women's basketball, six and four in the Big 12, 17 and four in the year. Lost to Texas, but bounced back to beat Houston on the road. Uh, they get BYU uh, coming up next, uh, a BYU team that's two and eight in the Big 12, 12 and 11 on the year. That should be a win uh, for the Bears. And look at their schedule. I mean, it's a really nice schedule setup. I mean, they got to play West Virginia twice, which isn't ideal, and they got to play Oklahoma. So you're, you're talking about three games against you know really, really solid teams, but you also get, like I mentioned, BYU. You get Texas Tech. You get Kansas again at home. You get Cincinnati, and you get Oklahoma State, which a lot of those teams are not having very good years. So a good chance to at least boost the record. Uh, going into the offseason, but obviously you want to do more than that. I think if you're a Baylor, you want to find a way to get your seating up another level. In order to do that, they're going to have to take care of business in some of these games against West Virginia and Oklahoma specifically, and then don't lose the games that you're not supposed to lose uh, as this season drags on. You know, I think what we've seen this year is that Baylor is a good team that's on the verge of being a great team and have shown flashes that they can beat, you know, a lot of really good teams. 
but the consistency and the size down low just aren't quite there yet. When they get there, I think this program will be at the level that Nikki Collin wants it at. Um, but right now, they still have their faults, still have their deficiencies, um, and look like a team that still can get to the Sweet 16, maybe upset someone and get to the Elite Eight. Uh, but I think we've all kind of seen that it's going to be really tough for this team to make it uh, anywhere beyond that, and even tough to make it to the Elite Eight, of course. But still, I think it's been a solid and positive year for Baylor women's basketball. Now we'll see if they can finish strong, and who knows? Maybe they grab some of that momentum back that they had early in the year, make a big run, potentially get a two or three seed going into the tournament. Um, and that would be absolutely awesome if they are able to get that done. So I think that's it for some of the things that we had to talk about this week. Um, I am going to dive into some of the questions I had this week. So the first one, Scotty B, the Baylor King, uh, was Baylor men's basketball game against Iowa State this past Saturday the worst officiated game that you have ever seen at the college level? Um, no. No, I don't think so. Now, I can't really point to a specific game that was worse, but I feel like I've seen some games, um, especially at Allen Fieldhouse, that I have been just in complete shock about. And I, I know that this game was really bad, and because it happened to Baylor, it's very natural to say this was the worst ever. Uh, but I have seen some games where teams get absolutely screwed when they go to Allen Fieldhouse and, and other places as well. But I think since I watched so much more Big 12 basketball, um, that one – that one is uh, is pretty bad. And, and so I, I think it was like a Kansas versus West Virginia game when Bob Huggins was there that I, I don't remember the exact situation, but I remember it being a, just an absolute travesty uh, what I watched on that night when West Virginia clearly should have won that game. Uh, but anyway, so it's not the worst, but it was really bad. And it was the worst ejection I've ever seen uh, by a head coach. There was no reason for Scott Drew to get ejected thought that was completely ridiculous and really a soft move by an official who clearly, um, whether he had his feelings hurt or was just tired of listening to Scott Drew, whatever the situation was, he lost his composure uh, in that moment, which was really, really sad to see because, I mean, honestly, that can't happen at this level of basketball. Uh, next question, Camo 08, Gary Patterson, how, why, when? Um, yeah, this has to do with the rumors that Gary Patterson might – um, be coming to Baylor in some capacity, uh, maybe as an analyst, something along those lines. We'll see if it happens. Um, there's been rumors, speculation about it for a while, um, but I think things have heated up a little bit more recently. Um, I just, I, I'm kind of thinking that it might happen. Usually when there's this much smoke, there's some fire there. Um, it'd be really weird. I'm not going to lie. It'd be really, really weird. Now, I'm not going to argue whether he's a great defensive mind or not because he absolutely is. Um, but just weird in the sense of how that rivalry played out, um, how much Baylor fans, especially, you know, the Baylor fans who were at Baylor when I was there, um, how much those fans did not like Gary Patterson at all. Um, and, you know, kind of the things that Gary Patterson did while our browse was at Baylor, um, the things that he said, you know, when there was problems going on at Baylor as well, just not great, not great. So um, we'll see what happens, but I'm not going to argue the fact that he could help a defense in some capacity because he can absolutely coach defense. We do know that. Thanks for that question. Cam 08, uh, ZT Smith, four, two, three. Do you think young guys who received massive snaps last year need to grow more mentally or physically going into next season is a great question. Um, you know, I, I do think that it is position by position. Um, so, you know, kind of when you look at the cornerback position, you know, I look like at a guy like Caden Jenkins, right? I don't think he needs to grow much physically. 
I mean, the guy's awesome. I mean, speed, strength, size. I mean, there are things that he can improve on, of course. But for me, when I watch him play, the next step is mentally. How do you make sure that every single snap counts? How do you make sure that you're the best player on the field every single snap? How do you make sure that you're not having mental errors now that you're a second-year guy, you've seen the game, you're up to speed on the game? Um, I think that's the most important thing for a guy like that. Because I know what he is physically. He's a freak. And so mentally, it's just how do you become a pro? How do you become this NFL guy that you want to be? I think that's taking that mental step forward because I think he can get there. But mentally, I do think he's got another level to get to as most. I mean, not most. Every guy has um, when they're a freshman in college. Other positions, though, you look you look at a guy like Trey Wilson, uh, who would have played a ton more had he not gotten hurt. I think for him, it's physically, you know, mentally, I, I think that, you know, he could grow there, of course. But physically, you know, getting bigger, stronger will really help him be able to stay on the field more. You know, I, I saw him last year, and I know many people, including Travis, uh, just in awe of how good he was as a freshman. But the next step for him is how do you make sure that you can play as many snaps as possible? And the only way to do that is by putting on more size, getting stronger, uh, and just being in better shape, which comes with age, um, having that grown man strength. Uh, so for a guy like that, it's a little bit different, right? And I think on the offensive line, you know, you kind of have a little bit more mentally that you have to deal with on the offensive line for a guy like Alvin Ebosele, um, but still physically growing, getting stronger, uh, getting faster, getting quicker, getting out of your stance, the technique, those things physically that you got to get up to, to snuff on to be a quality starter in the Big 12. I think there is some more aspects mentally on the offensive line that you need to get to. So I say it varies on a case-by-case basis. I, I do think that there are some positions where it's more about the physicality other positions where it's more about the mentality. Um, so I do think it varies, but in general, I, I think that's a, a very good question. Just kind of goes on a case by case basis. Uh, Justin, a ba- just a barren frog world. Uh, what is your favorite month of the football off season? And do you foresee the men's basketball team having what it takes to win the big 12? Yeah. So, I mean, my favorite month. Um, wow. That's a great question. You know, typically I would say that the month of January, especially with the transfer portal, um, ah, but it's tough because December falls, you know, the December signing period falls, uh, you know, right in December there. And then you have a few weeks in there where you can sign some guys um, in December. But I I think I'm going to go with January. March is up there, too, because you get spring football along with some recruiting for the 2025 class and camp season kind of opens up a little bit, too. Um, so I'd kind of say that combination of, you know, Feb, uh, January, uh, the end of December and March are probably my favorite offseason times uh, when it comes to uh, to football offseason, uh, even with camps in the summer being fun as well. I, I think I prefer uh, those time periods. Now, men's basketball winning the Big 12. Um, that's a great question. I think a lot of people have sold stock in this and I'm not ready to quite yet. Um, I'm really not. And a big part of this is, you know, you look at their schedule, right? And I mentioned this a little bit earlier. Yes, you play Kansas. Let's just say you split with Kansas, okay? And I know that's a lot to just say, but if you're able to do that, I think there's a clear path to winning the Big 12. And I really think that they can do it. Obviously, you got to take care of business at home. So you can't lose to Tech, Oklahoma, Kansas, Texas at home, and that Houston game at home, I think you have to win if you want to win the Big 12. So you hold serve at home, and then you look at the road games. You know, what's it going to take to win the Big 12? 
Um, let's say they lose the Kansas game. Let's say they lose the BYU game. And let's say they lose the Texas Tech game. Okay, the last game of the year. But they win all their home games. I mean, that puts you at, what, 11-6 and six in the Big 12 uh, at that point? And, I mean, I, I do think that kind of when you look at the – or, I'm sorry, 12-6 uh, and six at that point is what it would put you at. If you lose three of your remaining games, you're at 12-6, and six, which is what I think it will take to win the Big 12 this year. I think it's realistic. I really do. I, I'm kind of a believer that they can get to 12-6 and six this year. I've seen enough from this team to know that there are going to be a lot of close games on this schedule, and if they can pull a few of them out, they can win the Big 12. And I know that sounds crazy because – We've sat back and watched them all year and said, oh, you know, they're bad at this. They don't play enough defense. They have deficiencies here. They're not athletic enough. And I've said all these things. And I still believe a lot of the things that I have said. But this is why I mentioned a few weeks ago, this season is not over. That, Like, if they found a way to get to 6-3, and three, they were right on track to win the Big 12. And that means if they win tonight against Texas Tech, they are right on track to win a Big 12 championship. And I think they are still in contention for that. And again, whether I think they have deficiencies or not, doesn't really matter. You look at their schedule, there are a lot of winnable games on here, quite a few home games, and the road games are against some teams that I think they can beat. I really do. So again, if they win the home games against Texas Tech, Oklahoma, Houston, Kansas, and Texas, that's five wins right there. Taking care of business at home gets you five wins, gets you... In total, that would be 10 wins. Now, all you got to do to get to that 12th win is you got to beat uh, either Kansas, West Virginia, BYU, TCU, Texas Tech. You got to win two of those. I think it's doable for them to get to 12 and 6. And again, I think 12 and 6 is what it will take to get a share of the Big 12. I do not think you get an outright trophy at 12 and 6. I think 13 and 5 is the only way to get there. But I personally don't think there's a team in the Big 12 that's going to go 13 and 5 at this point. I mean, pretty much all the, the closest teams have three losses. And for example, Baylor plays Texas Tech tonight. So one of those teams is going to have four losses. And now you're going to tell me that one of them is going to you know, only lose one more time the rest of the way. I don't see it. I really don't see it. And you can point to Houston and say, okay, well, what if they go, you know, what if they find a way to, to go? I guess it'd be, um, you know, six and two the rest of the way um, to get to that 12 and five number if they're able to go six and two and I look at their schedule and I'm thinking to myself, uh, I don't know about that. They got Oklahoma state. They're going to win that one at Cincy has been tough for everyone. And there's a little bit of a, a rivalry there. Uh, I would say from being in the American, they got Texas. I think they'll win that game. They got a tricky one against Iowa state. I know they've been really good at home, but who knows there, they got to go to Baylor. That's going to be really tough. They get Cincy again at home. They go to Oklahoma. They go to UCF, and then they get Kansas. I mean, I think that they would be the best bet to go 13-5 and five and win the conference outright. But if I were to bet today, I think they're going to go 12-6. and six. I, I really do. So I think Baylor needs to worry about that, find a way to get to 12-6. and six. But in general, to answer your question, um, I think they have what it takes to win the Big 12. I do. Now, they're going to need some help because I don't know that they're going to be able to do much better than 12-6. and six. But in general – they do have what it takes to do it. Thanks for that question, Just Bear in a Frog World. Uh, RGIB, um, over under, two and a half signees on National Signing Day. I'm going to go under. I think it's going to be two on National Signing Day. 
A travel bear. How do you see the quarterback competition playing out this spring? Is this Finn's position to lose, or do you see a possibility of Sawyer stepping up and winning the job? Um, I think this is Finn's position to lose. And I know that sound – I think I've answered this a couple times, but I, I just – you don't bring in a guy like this if you don't expect him to be absolutely the best quarterback on your team. I think he's going to come in and be really, really good. I think fans are going to be really excited by what they see um, from Daquan Finn. I, I think he's going to be a, a very, very good football player for Baylor next year and take this offense to another level. Now, as far as Sora Robertson goes, that would stink for him. I understand that, but it's also not moving the timeline. Because since he didn't win the job this past season and you know there was a chance he was going to have to wait behind Blake Shapin another year um, coming up, it's just kind of like, okay, one more year behind the starting quarterback in which he'll probably play because no starting quarterbacks play every single game this year. And then it is literally just going to be him next year. And I think the staff is going to feel really good about him going into that next season. I really do. I think he has everything that it takes, but in this new offense, you know, just putting it all together, uh, I think will be key. Um, but in general, I think this is Daquan Finn's job to lose. And I think Sora Robertson's going to be one of the best backups you could possibly hope for and could play a big role and a pivotal role uh, for Baylor this year, just like he did last year. Uh, Mikey, do you trust our strength and conditioning coaches to get done this year? I do. I mean, everything I've heard is the players really love the strength and conditioning program. I, I think that what we saw last year was more of a function of guys being young um, and older guys, not really taking that next step um, technique wise and just, you know, just not taking that next step that they need to take. And I don't think that was because of strength and condition specifically, even though I do think there was some faults there, uh, as I've mentioned in the past. Um, so they got to get things corrected, just like the whole staff does. I mean, everyone has a part of the blame um, from last season. Also, which position do you see Kyan Roberts stay sticking and having the most success? If I recall correctly, started at running back, moved to linebacker, and is now on the defensive line according to strength and conditioning post. So, uh, if anyone has followed this, he did start out at running back. Uh, he played this spring as an edge linebacker, so a jack position, essentially, I mean, kind of just a pass rushing defensive end. Uh, but he actually moved to the defensive line uh, by fall camp last year, and we reported that heavily. Um, so he's been playing the field in position, which is what TJ Franklin played uh, during his time at Baylor. Um, and I expect him to stay there. I expect him to stay on the defensive line, continue to compete, um, and this year is important for him. He's got to find a way to get himself on the field. Uh, he's shown that he's more than capable as a pass rusher. It's just getting it all together as a run stuff for a guy who can be dependable in other situations outside just rushing the quarterback. Um, but I'm very interested to see his development. Obviously, I had him as a, a very highly rated recruit uh, in his class. So I'm excited that he's finally sticking at a position, though. Um, and I mean, I think he'll have some success there. Uh, next question, Bear in the gr Big Green House. Where do you expect holes to show on the football roster in the spring? Uh, an equal and different way to ask, what two, two to three positions do you expect to see transfers taken after spring ball? Yeah, that, that is an interesting question. I would say that, you know, if I'm looking at it today, I think wide receiver is one that I would look at potentially if you can find an upgrade or find it kind of a, an elite guy that you feel like can come in and have a huge impact uh, immediately. The other positions I would look at are positions Baylor was looking at addressing. So uh, the defensive line was an area that they were looking at, maybe even the jack position. Just, again, trying to add guys who can either A, pass rush, 
or be uh, be you know eaters in the middle of the defense line, whether that's a nose tackle of some kind. But I do think in general they want someone who's a little bit but a little bit more versatile up front. Um, so a guy who can either get after the quarterback or be um, a true defensive end, defensive tackle type as opposed to a nose tackle is kind of what I'm thinking. Um, but I do know they've looked at that front seven linebacker included. Um, you know, you took Keaton Thomas, uh, the Juco prospect this offseason, off add him to the 2024 class. Um, but that needs to play. That needs to pan out because linebacker was not good enough last year. I do think if there is a linebacker that comes available who they see potential in, I think that's another position that I would look at. So in general, probably a true defensive end, defensive tackle type, a linebacker, and then a wide receiver are probably the three positions I'm most focused on um, going into the to the spring transfer portal. But of course, best available prospects would also play a role in that too. So that's it. That's the BearCast questions this week. Um, thanks everyone for listening. It's going to be a really exciting day tomorrow. Um, and we'll see if Baylor can get the job done. And then, of course, tonight, Baylor can get the job done on the hardwood as well against Texas Tech. Um, but thanks, everyone, for listening. This has been the BearCast on Sigum365.com.